This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. My phone's always off. I have like all my notifications off. <laughs> I like to check my devices when I want to. I can tell right now. You're far more centered than <laughs> centered than I am. <laughs> hey everyone, thanks so much for joining me here on Repin, a podcast where you will meet notable people, people you think you know. Guests here are leaders in their genre, and you're going to find out who they really are and what they represent. I'm Evelyn, your host. My guest is a talented, multicultural dancer and actor based in Canada. He's accompanied Rihanna, Zendaya, Pitbull, Psy, and Rita Ora at events including the Brit Awards and MTV's Europe Music Awards. You've also seen him in many films as a dancer, including Disney's Descendants 1 and 3, Freaky Friday, and Nickelodeon's Zapped. He is of French-Chinese descent, and recently he's co-starred in Lifetime's first groundbreaking holiday movie centered on an Asian-American family called A Sugar and Spice Holiday. And currently you can see him as a fan favorite, as a deal in Freeform's supernatural hit, Motherland, Fort Salem. It's a supernatural drama that reimagines history in a way that allows witches to take control of their fate. It's a feminist action-packed series, and it's set in an alternate present-day America where witches ended their persecution by cutting a deal with the U.S. government. The show is badass, and you just got to check it out. But because of his rich, diverse background, he struggled to understand his identity and place in the world. Today, he shares the work he had to do and where he is now. Hanging out with us is the awesome Tony Giroux. Hey, Tony, thank you so much for being here. It's great to see you. How have you been? Thank you, and thanks so much for having me, Evelyn. I'm, I'm good. I've got this new routine. I go out and like stretch outside every morning. The sunshine is out, and so I'm good, and I'm so, so excited to, to, to be here. Thank you. Next time, you know, if it's that nice up there, let's do this in person. Maybe I'll just come to you. Let's do it. All right. Awesome. So let me start by saying congratulations on the Supernatural Drama television series, Motherland, Fort Salem. Thank you. Tell me a little bit about that, the, the premise of the show and your character, because it's pretty badass. It's action oriented. It's got great storylines featuring very strong female characters. Tell me a little bit about the show and also your character and, you know, what it's like being on it. Motherland Fort Salem, I describe it as a alternative 
contemporary world of what life would be like today if it was a matriarchy and if there was magic. During the witch trials of Fort Salem, they've changed the history so that the government started working with witches to be in the army. And so now women are getting recruited in the army to learn witchcraft. So then the show follows these three incredible women who join the army. So throughout the first season, we see them joining and also even, you know, the, the slight controversy that there is there, you know, with like the relationship with the army to the rest of the world. And it's kind of a coming of age story about these young women to join the army to represent and defend your country, you know, to stand for something that you really believe in. We live in a society led by women, uh, which is fantastic. My character, Adil, comes in about halfway through. He's from a pacifist tribe in northwestern China who have incredible powers. And I like to describe him almost as Buddhist. An approach to life that that was, you know, very nonviolent, quite esoteric. And they don't use their powers for anything to support conflict. You fight for peace. Mm -hmm. Exactly. They're very anti-conflict. And then we, my character and his little sister come into Fort Salem because his little sister's sick and we need the medicine of Fort Salem. And once I'm there, I end up meeting Abigail, who's one of the three girls. And right. There ends up being a bit of a spark there. A little bit. Yeah. A little bit of a spark. Yeah. A little bit of a nice spark. As we're now into season two, Adil, my character, has lost a, a lot of his people, a lot of his tribe due to the Camarilla group, which is a anti-witch group. And so now we're seeing, you know, my character kind of thrown into this environment that he's not comfortable with at all, having lost a lot of his family. And it's really a time of tradition versus this new way of being. Right. Everything that he was taught about the world, about being non-conflictual, I think is really coming into inner conflict within him because it doesn't work with the world. You know, it's like if you've been living on a mountain for your whole life and then you come into America and then you're, you're like, well, I can't just meditate all day. I mean, even though I think that helps with your in, inner peace, but there's so much conflict out there. And it's how do I deal with this being true to who I feel that I am in this moment right. as the character. And so it's, uh, so it's been an incredible journey of filming that and, you know, exploring that within myself. I think that's like so awesome that these themes are being explored in this super action-packed science fiction drama because, you know, a lot about what you just said is, you know, you can know who you are and what you believe in, but you have to contend with what the world is throwing at you and how those two can rub against each other. Then what do you do? These are real-life challenges that everyone experiences you know, on different levels, regardless of what your situation is. Mm -hmm. Is that f sort of fun for you to sink your teeth into as an actor and in this sort of story? Yeah. And, you know, and to be like perfectly honest, it's a struggle I've had my whole life in terms of trying to understand who I am. You know, I think fitting in has always been a big theme for me. Being mixed race, uh, having immigrated to Canada in my teens, there's so many themes within that about Okay, but who am I? So getting a chance to explore that within a TV show, you know, within what I like to call play is incredible. And, you know, it's a very safe space to do that. Right. Especially on this second season. When talking with Elliot, the, the creator, and he, we talked about Adil's journey and how it was changing for the second uh, season and how 
it was going into something that was much darker or uh, heavier mm-hmm. and filled with grief. And it's actually made me dive into or ask some of these questions for myself. That's hard. Today, as I'm talking to you, I think I have, I have more of an understanding of like, okay, who am I in this moment? But only in this moment, I think we're always changing. Yeah. I mean, that is a huge concept to try to get your arms around. It's a lot of self-reflection and work. It's a process. So what's it been like for you? It's been such a journey. Yeah. I'm gonna, you know, I'm going to leave it at for now. Just, just in terms of you know, being mixed race. And right. that's been a whole thing that has been, uh, I, you know, it's, it's an ongoing journey. That kind of gets me right into it because you were born and raised in France you are mixed race, French, Chinese. Mm-hmm. Now, was your mom Chinese or was your dad Chinese? Yeah, my mom's Chinese. And she was born and raised in Vancouver. And my dad, who was a young French traveler in the 80s, and then he's hitchhiking across Canada. He arrived in Vancouver after quite a bit of time. And uh, he was meant actually to go down to San Francisco and keep his travels. But uh, he met my mom. My dad, you know, was a young traveler, and uh, but they met in the club, and uh-huh. and they kind of hit it off. And my mom was like, "Oh, where are you staying?" And uh, my dad said, "Oh, I'm staying at the Fairmont Vancouver, which is like a five star <laughs> hotel." But then, really, he was staying in a hostel. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but it was the, they really hit it off. He actually ended up doing a bit more of his travels, but he came back for six months in Vancouver for uh-huh. her. Yeah, and then they moved to France. And so my mom left in the 80s. I feel like nowadays it's common to to move around, to go to another country. But she moved, you know, when, I mean, there wasn't the internet. Yeah. Like you didn't know anything about Europe. And like she didn't, she didn't speak the language. The studies that she had done weren't relevant. So she had to start all over again. She didn't know anybody. She just, you know, followed love. Yeah. I mean, that was really gutsy. You, she just literally picked up and left. And like you said, you know, this was in the 80s where information was not easily accessible. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about what it was like for you growing up mixed race, because your heritage and your culture is so rich and so diverse. Tell me a little bit about what it was like growing up for you and where you began to recognize within yourself that the world may see you as being different. How was that for you to navigate? Was it easier? Was it harder? Ooh, I mean, uh, both, you know, I, uh, I mean, you know, I come into the world and there's just like my mom who's Chinese, my dad who's French. And when you're a kid, you don't think about it. Right. You're just having a good time. And the concept of difference or self doesn't really click in, you know, and then, you know, when you start going to school and I grew up in a smaller city in France, there at school, like I was the only Asian kid. I mean, I was raised quite French and I spoke only French. My mom, I think, just was so caught up with trying to raise the kids. In terms of identity, you know, at school, quite early on, people would call me like the Chinese kid. Right. Because it was almost all white. There'd be like little jokes, but like, oh, Tony, I wear a hat like you, you know, like that, like the rice hat. That is so messed up. It was very like playful jokes. And when you're a kid, you, you, you go along with the joke. Then throughout my childhood, you know, I, I didn't really think too much about representation because I think especially in a smaller town and also in the media, you know, there was in France, there was nothing about Asian culture. Right. Like mixed race. I think we're just starting to scratch the surface. Yeah. In terms of even just being Asian in France, like it was 
unheard of. Yeah, you were a unicorn. Yeah, but then I come here in Vancouver every second summer, and here, you know, my whole family was, you know, very Chinese. So it was this weird thing that, like, every, once every two years, I'd come here and and have a really great time with family. But I think it was a concept in my mind that was very much like, oh, this is holiday and like their family, but I didn't feel necessarily quite attached to them. So then in my teen years, I think the concept started coming in a bit of like, okay, yeah, I have a French father, a Chinese mother. Still, the questions weren't quite there yet. Like, okay, who am I and whatnot? It was still like, I'm French. You know, I've got my friends here. I've got my whole set of roots in my culture and, you know, my school, my community, the things that I do. And then I moved to Canada and like my whole world completely shifted or like crumbled. We moved here and it was quite sudden in a way because we came here for the summer and then we're just like, oh yeah, maybe we should just stay. And then we did. And it was jarring, jarring, but at the same time exciting because they used to always come here every second summer and like with family in Vancouver in the summer, it's amazing. And so I arrive on this new land like North America. The only thing I really knew about North America was coming here in the summertime and movies. That's it. That's it. I mean, I remember going to high school here and thinking, oh my God, this is, it's like a movie. Like the lockers, the cliques, the cheerleaders, the jocks. So you felt like you stepped into a movie. Literally, you know. That's so funny. Okay. That period when you were like, considering yourself more French because you were living in France, but you were the only Asian kid and they were teasing you about these, you know, jokes about wearing a rice hat. And then you were ping-ponging back and forth, being the Chinese kid in France, and then you were the French kid in Canada. Exactly. I think there's a slight like performing of race or like in my environment. And I think that's why I struggled so much with my identity for so long. When I'm in France, I was the Chinese kid. Right. And then all of a sudden, when I'm here, what works for people is call me the French kid. And like, yeah, there's something. I guess, exciting and romantic about that. Now in this new environment, people are seeing me in a completely different way. Right. So internally, it's it's like, what, like, what is going on? Like, who am I? Right. And then so you start going along with, you know, what kind of works, you know, you want to fit in. And so all of a sudden I'm thinking, okay, I'm French and it's kind of interesting, but I was someone who's very, very shy. I mean, here there was a bit more mixed race people. So that was interesting. I had never really seen people like me, aside from my brother and my cousins, actually. Right. You know, you start to try and figure out the ground of like, okay, I'm now I'm the French guy. For a while, you know, people would, would ask me, yeah, even as I was a young adult, like they say, oh, you know, do you feel more French? Do you feel more Chinese or Canadian? For a while, I was saying, no, I'm, I'm French. And then Chinese, but then Canada is just the country that I live in. Here, I live with my Chinese grandma. And I lived with my grandparents for so long that it gave me an understanding, I think, of like part of my heritage that I never was really exposed to. But even that was jarring at the beginning because I lived with my grandparents when I first got here. You know, this is my flesh and blood, but yet huge, huge barriers, like culturally, language, and like my English wasn't as good when I moved here. This is my family, but like it feels like I have nothing to relate to, especially when you're a teen. Oh my God, yeah. The way that you relate to people is, you know, kind of through talking, through activities, but here there's so many barriers. Right. And so I felt quite alone. And But then I had my brother who came here as well, but then he left after a year. 
And so after that, where do I place myself in the world? You must have felt so isolated. I loved what you said. You were the Chinese guy in France and then the French guy in Canada. So there's just so many levels that you had to deal with. I think being a teenager is difficult and it's obviously, it's a, it's a time of a lot of development and change. And that's very difficult um, for anyone to go through because there's like hormones and, and, you know, teenagers are notorious for being challenging mm -hmm. and we're still kind of discovering ourselves, you know, during that time period. So there's a lot going on that makes the teenage years difficult, but it seems like you had much more to contend with, Tony. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores. And it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta. And I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop. And you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. How did that all sort of impact how you saw yourself and how did you finally begin to find your footing? Because we talked a little bit on the phone before this session and you said something that was super interesting. You said that it actually taught you how to be open to others. I don't want to diminish the challenges that you faced. So I guess this is a two-part question. When you came here and you finally settled down, your brother was gone. You felt that separation. How did you finally get a hold of some of the struggles that you had in terms of figuring out who you are? And then what did it teach you? Ah, uh, you know, when I moved here and I felt completely disconnected from my roots, I became extremely attached to them, actually my French identity. All my friends, because to me, that's that's where I felt rooted. That's who I was. But then when I'd go back, now I was the Canadian kid. I didn't fit in, you know, with my friends. And there was, you know, micro jokes about, you know, about my accent changing, about all these little aspects that, you know, the only place that I knew that I fitted in was gone. And so it was this really jarring aspect for, you know, the next decade. You know, you asked me then, what has it taught me? I, there was so much, I think, always inner conflict about like, where am I? And I was, who am I? And I was always a pretty emotional person, but I was never even taught, you know, okay, that it's, how do we express ourselves? I think is, you know, even just as a man, I mean, we're not going to touch on that, but so I think I felt quite lost throughout 
the years of me coming to terms with who I am and actually embracing all aspects of me. Mm. It's taught me actually that within myself to notice in others that they have their story beyond skin color, beyond heritage, beyond label. I think it's really taught me, you know, that pain and trauma doesn't have any labels, doesn't have any color, you know, but neither does joy, neither does glory. Mm. And to be able to recognize that, I think now for me, interactions are so human to human. Like it doesn't matter what your job is, doesn't matter, you know, where you're from, what you look like. There's always bridges that we can build between us. You have your sort of pain and I have mine. And it's not one that's more than the other. You know, that's your story and my story. And I'm here to honor yours and to honor mine at the same time. Now is the time to really think like, okay, how do we, how do I do this constantly? Both on the micro level, you know, with interactions, but then also on a bigger scale. Being on a show like Motherland Fort Sound, which is so inclusive, you know, has really strong female voices that I think is so necessary. Yes. It is such an honor. And then, you know, and then to bring to life a character like Adil, who I think is going through a similar struggle of trying to figure out who he is. And, you know, and so I think it's a bit serendipitous that this gig landed with the story that I have. You know, I didn't think about it at the time. You're bringing a lot of your own personal stories and feelings into your character, Adil. Hopefully. I think a lot of people absolutely can relate to it. What you just said was so beautiful. And I could not support those thoughts more. But what helped you get to that point? Do you remember the moment where you sort of like figured out, hey, like I am all of these things? Mm -hmm. When did you find your footing? Oof, it was hard. Evelyn, you know, it was so hard. Um, I think I ran from for a lot of my life. Oh. Ran from, I think even just even my family, you know, for like four Christmases in a row, I was traveling. And I, I don't even know if it was conscious. I was just at a time I was like, well, it's the best time for me to travel because I'm a freelance. But really, you know, I felt so disconnected from my roots or from who I was. And so for me, it was actually a lot of it was air quotations, like finding myself. But like a lot of it actually had to do with the inner work of figuring out like who I was. And, I, and I, I've always been someone who was quite drawn to the academics, philosophy, psychology. And, you know, I started reading up on this man called Alan Watts, who was a philosopher in the 70s. And he was a Westerner who took a huge interest in the Eastern philosophies. And so right away, in his perspective, I started seeing, okay, there's, there's a huge mishmash mm. of who he feels that he is and who he wants to be. It's not just Western. And it's not just Eastern, it's this mix. He's got a ton on YouTube about like um, his lectures. And I remember actually once it was on Christmas time, I was in Vietnam. I was in Halong Bay in this, on this little island. And I remember waking up one morning and I was listening to one of his like mini lectures, you know, the one that has, that's really emotional. It's got music. And I remember like standing on top of this hill and just thinking, I'm here. It was this feeling of, I feel lost, but yet. I feel found in this wandering. And I think that kind of started the journey of like, okay, to slowly start to reconcile all the parts that I never befriended. All the parts of me that I felt like I was trying to fit in constantly. Right. You know, because when I was young, I'm here in Canada, so I should then like be more French. You know, okay, I'm here now when I visit my friends in France, I'm 
Canadian is constantly trying to jump around, but then like I never had time to find my own footing. And so then it was it was this journey of throughout time of slowly reconciling parts of me. So I'd say a lot of it has been a lot of reflection. And I'm so lucky to have an incredible support system with uh, my friends. You know, my friends are I'm incredibly close to and my family. Right. And in a way that I'm not conscious now, they've always been there. But for me, there was times that I really had to separate myself and figure out, like, who am I? Right. As much as my family said, you're one of us. For me, it was heart-wrenching to feel like I don't feel like I fit in here. But now that I've reconciled, I feel like, oh my God, like I am my family and I am French and I am Chinese. I am Canadian. I'm all of these things at once. Yeah. And so I feel like I'm so beyond label. Okay, if I can carry that, then another human being is the same, you know, beyond all labels. I think that's so wonderful. And again, I can't support that enough. You said it so beautifully, but I'm sure that it was a a lifetime of work (laughs) and reflection for you to even get to this point. Can you tell me a moment where it crystallized for you and you felt good about all the different components and when you reconciled all the different parts of who you are and you felt empowered by it? I would say actually it's pretty recent that it happened. Um, I recently lost my grandpa, my Chinese grandpa. Oh God, I'm sorry, Tony. Thanks. And, you know, this is someone that I lived with for like 15 years of my life. Right. You know, he was the head of the family here. And so I feel like a part of me and my world and like the entire family's world, like completely crumbled. We had to go through this immense amount of grief. But then in that grief, we went through a huge celebration of who he was and his life. And he immigrated, you know, here in the 50s. And my grandma was always the one to tell stories. So we always heard it from her perspective. But then we started looking at old files, old photos, old letters, you know, that my grandparents exchanged. Uh My grandpa first came here by himself in 1951. And my grandma didn't join till 58. And so we found like all this rich story about who he was and what he did. Throughout that grief, there was a real reconciliation with myself. And I think a lot of pain and trauma from that sense of separation from the world was able to kind of be processed and find, you know, so much love and bonding with my family here. In honoring his story, it made me really honor my own. So I really believe in that a way to honor who we are is also to honor where we're from. And that doesn't mean I have to know where I'm going or to follow a path that is expected of me because of tradition, but knowing where I've come from. Yeah, your lineage. is so important to understand your own history. I feel much more grounded. That's so great. And you were still going through that sort of crazy ping pong period. And people were, I would assume, and correct me if I'm wrong, were treating you differently in each of the areas because, you know, one, you were the French guy, then you were the Canadian guy, then you're the Chinese guy. And you got treated, I think, slightly different, even in the way people may have talked to you. Mm -hmm. Is that that accurate so far? Mm -hmm. Did you ever step back and look at, huh, that's interesting that you're now treating me as a French guy and that's different then when I'm in Canada and I'm being treated as a Chinese person, when I go to some places, uh, my ethnicity is 
pointed out to me much more than some other places. And it makes me aware of a, the separation that they may see, not what I see, but what they see Mm. and the treatment. So it kind of gives me a perspective of, oh, okay, this is how you see me. And this is how you treat me based on what I look like or what what my ethnicity is or what my gender is. Mm -hmm. When you were treated differently in all the different areas, how did it sort of color how you saw the world and people? Being mixed race is really interesting. There's two sides to the coin. And with my complexion, I actually can, air quotations, fit in like everywhere. In terms of like people think I'm a local in a lot of places. Right. Because you can pass for white. Yeah. And it's really interesting because even in here in Canada, sometimes like depending on if I have facial hair or not, depending on my hairstyle, some people just think, you know, I'm just French. Right. And when they hear that I'm half Chinese, they're like, what? No, no way. Or some people, <laughs> right. I've never got people think that I'm full Chinese, but some people are like, yeah, no, you're, you're Chinese. I can tell. But then even beyond that, when I'm traveling, I've gone to a lot of Latin countries and my last trip was in Colombia. You could totally pass for Colombian. Yeah, no, you know, and I can speak a little bit of language. And even I had to fly through the States. And then the, I remember the um, border agent said, oh, you're going home? Uh-huh. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> no, I'm just <laughs> visiting. <laughs> but then even, even when I'm in the country, because I can get by with a little language, you know, people just assume that I'm, yeah. that I'm a local. And so it's this really interesting thing of, you're a kind of a local everywhere, but yet they can't place you. They can't place you. That's where I always had the feeling of like I can fit in everywhere, but I don't fit in anywhere. So when you see that and and you look out this time going out, what does that tell you, inform you about the people around you and, and how people perceive you? I think in you know where I live and in North America now being mixed race, it's this air quotations, like there's something cool about it or people, yeah, I think, see it as this commodity. And you know, right away, then it's like, it's, there's all these new preconceived notions of yeah. who like a halfer is, you know, but so it's very based on like, oh, you're, you have cool heritage or you have cool looks because you're mixed race. You know, the common question that is of what are you? That is, you know, so, 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 so common. Right. Within that, you know, to go back to your question, but, you know, how is it that to manage the the interaction or the impression that you have on others? Yeah. I think for so long, because I was so concerned with fitting in, I would always try and gauge, okay, then what is this person going to find acceptable? And because I have so many different sides, I can switch. I can promote to this or that. Yeah. Not in an evil way, but just in a desire of wanting to fit in and connect with this person. Yeah. You know, I'm feeling incredibly lucky that I haven't experienced too much assaults, whether that's at the micro level or quite explicit level. And for that, I feel incredibly lucky. Well, thank God. You've also been a part of a project that has opened a lot of doors for other people. You were in the first Lifetime holiday movie uh, called Sugar and Spice that featured an Asian-led cast, a romantic comedy. Knowing that you are a part of the work of opening doors, what was some of the feedback that you've gotten that you've carried with you and that's meant a lot? Uh, I mean, even, you know, just to tell you a little bit about that process, even, I mean, for me, it was really scary actually to step into those shoes. Okay. Like you said, Lifetime's first Asian-centered holiday movie. Yeah. 
I definitely had those thoughts of, you know, not fitting in and thinking, okay, I'm this French guy from a small town doing a movie that's about Asian representation. I had imposter syndrome a little bit at the beginning, for sure. But I think that, that just comes with the job. That movie actually that made me really get in touch with my Asian heritage in a way that that made me really take ownership of that. And some of the feedback that was the most touching for me was um, watching it with my family and having, you know, my brother say things like, oh my God, that's so like grandma or like, oh my God, that's, that's so like our aunt. Uh. To have them see aspects of their culture represented in media, that really touched my heart. And to be able to be part of that was incredible. Yeah. I, I don't know what it was like in North America, but like in France, there was no positive representation around being like Asian. Like I said, you know, with being mixed race, I think there's barely anything. A childhood hero that I had was Keanu Reeves because my two favorite flicks were The Replacements and Hardball because I, I played baseball and I really wanted to play football. Right. And, you know, he was mixed race and I was like, oh my God, yeah, okay, I feel he's the only kind of person I can relate to. But to go back to Sugar and Spice and the response, to have my family see aspects of themselves on screen with a positive message in a nuanced way. You know, I think the movie really tried to tackle as authentically as we could, you know, within the realm of what it was. Um, That was so, so, so touching. You know, even my grandma watched it. My grandparents both watched it. And that's so cool. And it's so rewarding to make people feel seen. You as a kid, right? All that internal strife and struggle of identity of where you fit in, not seeing any Asian representation in France. Certainly this was, you know, decades before. Um, Representation is unfortunately still such a new thing. It's happening very, very recently. There's someone out there. There's a little boy, a little girl out there. That is you. (laughs) And now your work is out there. So they have access to it. So you have actually helped a future you relieve some of that pressure of the identity struggle, of placement, of belonging, of acceptance. How does that hit you when you realize that you have actually changed that for another little boy that was you back then? Well, the way you put it, Evelyn, I, I'm not very humbled to hear that. And, uh, you know, it leaves me quite speechless and so honored. And and hopefully, you know, that, yeah, people who are struggling with their identity, to be able to see ourselves or aspects of ourselves, of our culture on media is so important Right. to feel a sense of belonging within society. And now that we're finally starting to dive into this topic of diversity and giving more representation for everybody is so important. And, you know, to be part of it is so incredibly rewarding. And I think, and you know, to represent it within the complexities of what it is, you know, it's not just a matter of like, okay, seeing a mixed race face on screen in a positive way. We had a lot of talk within Sugar and Spice Holiday that the film, we had a lot of conversation around that, around that we're both Asian and American. Yes. Where we've come from, where our ancestors have come from, for myself, uh, like China and France, and then for yourself, I'm assuming Chinese predominantly. Yes. It's entirely part of who we are, but yet we can't also not acknowledge that 
were born and raised in America. Exactly. It's fantastic that we're telling these stories to embrace our complexity. Yes. To say that, okay, I'm not just Asian. I'm not just American. You're not one thing. You're not one thing. You are all of these things. It's such a tough and delicate balancing act because sometimes I feel like I have one foot in one canoe and then another foot in another canoe. Mm -hmm. And I'm just trying not to fall. Yeah. I'm falling all the time, you know? Yeah. You're falling gracefully, Tony. You're a dancer. <laughs> you're far more graceful and cool. I actually fractured my toe walking in my apartment with no oh, on. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, when I was a kid, my family used to call me Mr. Accident because I was so clumsy. How is that possible? My parents were so worried when I was a kid. I got brought to a doctor because I was so unsynchronized. You are a dancer. But no, I'm telling some parts of me, I think I, I still relate to that kid who's so clumsy. Like literally, I, like my legs would go one way and my body would go the other but way. You are you are an incredible <laughs> dancer now. So I again, I think your falling and my falling are two very different things. <laughs> so for all those people who have not reached where you are today in terms of understanding, and we are many things all at once, what would your advice be? Be kind to yourself. I struggled with that for so long. I think being okay with the questions and that it'll come, to trust that it'll come. Because in moments of pain or moments of feeling so lost or removed or alienated, there's, there's so much in my life that I felt like there was nothing I could relate to. Nothing. Oh, wow. That must have been so hard. Yeah. Look at my Chinese heritage and feel like, okay, I, don't, I don't feel like I have really ownership of that. And, you know, my Chinese name is Hu Zhang, which my grandma's told me is that he knows where he's from. He knows his country. Oh, wow. I'm like, I've never been to China. And so a lot of it, you know, for me, it's still a huge process. Yeah. But so, yeah, my advice would be to, to be kind and actually to be okay with leaning into the questions, the uncomfortable questions of, you know, who am I? Or to say that it's okay to not be okay. It's a big thing that I want to stand for is it's okay that I feel like I don't fit in or it's okay that out there in the media that maybe there's nothing that I feel I can connect to. And I think leaning into that discomfort, I think for me at least has allowed to start taking ownership of all these broken parts of me. I don't know. I, you know what? I'll challenge you respectfully in terms of calling it broken parts, but in terms of the different pieces of you. I wouldn't call it broken. I know that we have probably felt that way back in the day. Mm -hmm. And just to kind of uh, give you a quick anecdote, I actually uh, related to you on another point. I mean, many points, but one of the points is that I actually didn't necessarily celebrate my heritage. I mean, I knew I was Chinese, but I didn't necessarily outwardly celebrate it because I never saw anyone that looked like me growing up. And on the rare occasion when I did see uh, an Asian face on screen. And somebody said this, and this broke my heart. Anytime that you saw Asians in media oh back God. in the day, obviously there'll be some exceptions to this. So please don't troll the hell out of me. In general, on screen, most Asians were the butt of the jokes. Mm -hmm. And personally speaking, I was the butt of a lot of jokes. I had a lot of people like pull their eyes back and make fun mm -hmm. of me. So I just tried my best to fit in. I wanted a nose job when I was a kid. I asked my mom for a nose job because I, I didn't look like anybody. I wanted to be blonde. Um, so I kind of struggled with all those things. 
Now I so deeply appreciate my culture and heritage. What do you celebrate, Tony? The question is like, what do I not celebrate? In in terms of my heritage, you know, I... uh, Oh, that's good. I live with my grandma, and so I have I have lunch with her every day. And to me, even that is a celebration. Now I have so much more appreciation and understanding of the depth. Also acceptance for the barriers that are there between my grandma and I that are still there because of, you know, right. language. Like she she speaks English good enough to to have a conversation and to share her stories, but there's still so much that I'll never be able to fully understand. But I think a lot of it, is actually celebrating the people that I'm close to in my life to always try and honor myself and others. That could be a birthday celebration. Actually, and it was just my dad's birthday a couple of days ago. And he's in France and, you know, calling him. All these little moments, doing everything that I can to honor and make others feel seen. But at the same time, you know, also I got to live my life. Yeah. So live your life. What does that look like for you? So that's also a lot of time for like self-care and like, and pursuing my dreams, pursuing the lifestyle that I want, but yet always honoring, you know, where I'm from and the people that I, that are helping to support that. Listen, we can all walk and chew gum at the same time. All of us. (laughs) So Tony, it's that time. Will you let me know who you are and what you represent? Okay. I am Tony Giroux and I represent the indispensable building of bridges between our hearts. Big thanks to Tony Giroux for sharing his time, his heart, and his voice with us. You've got to follow Tony, and I'm going to make it easy for you. I'm going to have his social media links in the episode description. So click and follow, and head over to Instagram at reppin underscore podcast for exclusive bonus content, and get to know Tony in seconds. And you can always follow me on Twitter at reppin podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, check out past episodes and see the other amazing roster of people who have guested. Subscribe, share, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, Podchaser, or wherever you're listening to podcasts. Oh, and take us wherever you go. And you can do that by downloading Reppin' Episodes because they're all available. Next up, we have a brilliant woman. She is a stand-up comic, actress, activist, and has one of the most popular TED Talks ever. Over 11 million views and counting. We have Maysoon Saeed. So many disabled people prior to the internet were so isolated. Now we have like full communities online. And unfortunately, it's like Star Wars. You can find the light and you can find the dark. Hello, this is Maysoon Zayed, and my episode of Reppin is coming up next. Do not miss it. You do not want to miss that episode. As always to my crew, love and thanks to Nelson Pinero, my musical composer and technical director for his time, talent, and care. And always love and thanks to Gracie Kong. Reppin is a Suburban Outlaw Productions. Until next time, stand up and represent. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. 
Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.